Hey everyone, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have Vince Ellis of the Detroit Free Press on to preview the Pistons season. Uh, Vince and I talk about his Sunday column on Blake Griffin, the contrast in demeanor between Stan Van Gundy and Dwayne Casey, and the knowledge he dropped on some lucky Michigan State journalism students prior to the final preseason game. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and I'm pleased today to be joined by Vince Ellis, the Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Vince, how are you doing today? What's up, Lazarus? I got to tell you, man, you have a radio voice, man. So that is the exact same thing James said. And I got to tell you, I'm like when I do the podcast, I put on my NPR voice. Okay, because it sounds like you're hosting the NPR, like you're about to break down some knowledge on here, man. I mean, I'm telling you, man, if by hearing that voice, I would want to listen to this podcast. I would. Well, I mean, I, I highly uh, insist that you subscribe to this podcast because where else are you okay. going to find? Oh, wait, no, you're you're the beat writer. You don't need extra information <laughs> about the Detroit business. But one thing I would say, too, is you also got kind of that uh, maybe Friday Night After Dark thing going. So last, oh, like last the quiet storm on the quiet storm thing. Yeah, I think the ladies <laughs> might dig it. I don't know if your wife would, but hey. Uh, <laughs> she likes it. A the voice is on point. <laughs> I appreciate that, Vince. Thank you. But uh, yeah, obviously we got you on a couple days before the season starts. Uh, preseason ended on Friday in East Lansing. Um, solid win over the Cavs. No big deal. But I want to go back a little farther than that. I want to go back all the way to about February of last year when the Blake wow, Griffin trade happened. Wow, we're going happened. way back in the yeah, way going, back machine. We're going way back in the way back machine. So I know that you you are you make it a point that you are not a fan of the Detroit Pistons. This is your job. You uh, you do your job well, but that you do not care at the end of the day whether or not the Pistons win or lose. Um, you don't necessarily. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add an explainer there after mm-hmm. you get done with your question, um, to kind of give maybe your listeners more insight, more context there. But no, no, no. I think we, no this, the start is that. So, no, give me the context now because I well, think the context, it's a, the context is this. You yeah. know, it's not that I don't care. Um, you're around players that you like, and he's, they're like colleagues of yours. You know, you see them all the time. You're around them all the time. So there is a part of you that likes to see them, you like to see them do well. Mm-hmm. You don't like the callers around them. You're human, so you have an attachment to them because um, you see them every day during the season. Um, you don't like to see them upset. You don't like to see them uh, um, uh, sad or down because of a loss or because they're not uh, uh, playing well. I'm, I am human. So there's a human element there that I will admit to. Uh, but that being said, when I say I don't care if they win or lose, like the University of Alabama, I'm an Alabama graduate. 
I roll with the roll tide. I mean, I have the student loans to prove it, so I went to school there. <laughs> when they lose, it bothers me. When the right. Pistons lose, it doesn't bother me. I guess that's the uh, – and sometimes in 200 characters, you don't get that across. People think you don't actually care. Uh, you care about doing a good job. You care about uh, providing good content for your uh, 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 readers and the people who listen to you on TV or listen to you on the radio. Um, you, you care about providing insight. But I just say I don't really necessarily care about the wins and losses and stuff because it doesn't affect my mood like an Alabama loss. I guess right. that's, that's the point I would like to get across to your listeners. So, yeah, for the purpose of this question, when I say you don't care, it more means that you have no particular agenda to push. There you go. That's a yeah. good way. I do not. That That is a good way of putting it. Yeah. So starting all the way back in February of last year, what have you thought about where the Pistons were then and, and where they are now with without an agenda? The, the Blake okay. Griffin trade, the hiring of Dwayne Casey and firing of Stan Van Gundy, the restructuring of the front office, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I'm always one of those type of people that when things are going great, I don't think things are as great as they appear to be. And when things are bad, I don't think things are as bad as they are, as they appear to be. And typically that's kind of the way things are. I wasn't one of those people uh, that thought things were so, just awful um, in February after the Blake Griffin trade. Uh, in retrospect, I know the contract. I know the injury history. But I just don't know where the pieces were going with Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley. Uh, I just don't. Um, that collection of group wasn't going to make the playoffs last year. Ultimately, they didn't make the playoffs. But, I mean, I think there's actually hope that they'll be better this year. I don't. They're not going to challenge for Eastern Conference or anything like that. But is it realistic they could be a sixth seed? Yeah, I think that's realistic with good health, a little luck. Who knows? Maybe they could be the sixth seed. They think they could be higher than that. But I'll be honest with you, if it was they were rolling out Tobias to Harris, and I don't know, I don't think Avery Bradley was resigning here. So if Tobias Harris were here, what would, what would be your optimism level? With, or and Stan Van Gundy coming back, what, what would be your optimism as a fan of things that pretty much were the same? If they, had, if they hadn't made the Blake trade and they were still – uh, being helmed by Stan Van Gundy and they were still about the same roster. I think the expectation would have to be right. Like about the same as it was this time last year, which is like, this will be a playoff team. Um, we're not quite okay, sure. So you, like, think what, still be a, you still think they would still be a playoff team. You, yeah, don't, because, think, you don't think there'd be much different. Well, so the thing with the Blake Griffin trade, right. Is it changes the ceiling, right? Like uh-huh. they are, they are talking about like a, a four or five seed. I think that's slightly unrealistic, but um, with, with a Blake Griffin, you open up the possibility of like winning a first round series if you get a correct matchup or if you're playing extremely well throughout this, the entirety of the year, right? With a Tobias Harris, uh, you you don't have that. You don't have that outside ceiling. So like maybe you're a playoff team, but then at that point you're just like complete first round fodder again. That's a good way of looking at it, Lance. With one reason why I probably follow you, and you know, basically you're educating me uh, with the addition of Blake Griffin, and I would agree with that. The playoff expectation would be the same, mm-hmm. but you, with Blake Griffin, the ceilings what the team can do if he's healthy, they can actually win a series. That's a great way of way of looking at it, and so that's why um, I would say. And also, I would, I would add this: um, if, when you compare the team now, it's still early um, preseason. Everybody's all happy with the coach right now. Yada yada yada. Um, he got a nice honeymoon period going. Um, you could tell Stan Van Gundy's. It's not a knock on him, but the way he is, the way he argues, the way he, the way he, way he uh, rides players, it kind of can create a kind of a dire, a dour uh, atmosphere. And now mm-hmm. the atmosphere is brighter. 
Um, that's one thing you can see, even though you don't necessarily watch in practices. I mean, this is something that's going to find its way into my coverage um, the next day or so. Um, like when I walked into the locker room after the the, the first exhibition game in Oklahoma City, watching Ish and Andre just gush about playing in six in a Casey um, system, and the word they kept looking for a word to describe it. Finally, it was a simple word. They came across the word fun. It's fun to play, and as Andre puts it, there are no boundaries. And I don't know if him shooting threes is uh, maybe we want to put a boundary on that. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but that being said, that there's a breath of fresh air that I don't know that I, I think may serve the team well this year. No, I I would I would agree with that so far as well. I definitely think though the operative word in that is like honeymoon period, right? Like there is no going doubt. to be a time when it turns and what. How bad will it be, and and how will the team respond? I think will be will be huge questions that remain to be answered when that when that occurs. Matter of fact, even Dwayne Casey alludes to it. Um, he says, "You know the history of this team. I mean, adversity hits, they kind of fall, and yeah. he wants to know how they respond with some adversity." Uh, I mean, like, and if there's get, if there's a guy who has sense. experience he, with adversity too, right? It's Casey. Yeah, exactly. You get the sense that Casey's an old head. He's seen it all. So he'll remain the same, and he's going to remain calm and collected, and nothing's going to really change. But these guys have a tendency to hang their heads and stuff when things go bad. So uh, he's hoping that him preaching the positive word, uh, don't just play on, move on to the next thing, move on to the next play, move on to the next game. Hopefully it resonates and stuff, you know. And Stan really didn't play – he may have said that, but the way he responded with the – Size and the jumping up and down and screaming and stuff when a person made a mistake, it doesn't lend itself to that kind of thinking. So we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out, though. Did you think Stan was getting fired before he actually got fired? Uh, from the season, I would say I thought he was coming back when the whispers first started about his job. I thought he would be coming back. As a matter of fact, uh, the people I talked to with the Pistons tended to think, lean toward that he was coming back. Um, I would say when the season ended, I was thinking 60% chance he was coming back. I want to say after a week, I started thinking, well, if it's taking this long, he's not coming back. And sure enough, um, I, as a matter of fact, I don't, I, I don't remember the, before that Sunday, I think I wrote a column pretty much saying he wasn't coming back and he was fired Monday. So, uh, so yeah, and all that stuff was like educated guessing from talking to people that would have an idea of what was going on. So, um, so yeah, that's, it was kind of like a, his odds kept decreasing the longer it went. So basically it's kind of how, how, how I viewed it or how I reported on it. Yeah, that's funny. I know, uh, a lot of fans at first were, they had a lot of trepidation because like a lot of other coaches were getting hired at the time that they were still debating about what they should do with Stan. It's like, well, like what, it's like, if you fire Stan, like, what are you going to do to replace him? And like, it just so happens that, you know, the front office in Toronto, decided to make their decision. And so it's like, okay, you can, it's like you can make an adjust and actually like well-adjusted uh, transition into a quality coach. But like, if, you know, if the Raptors lose in six games instead of four and Dwayne Casey's still there, I very much wonder like who would be the head coach of the Detroit Pistons right now. Yeah. And that's, that is funny that who knows who the guy would have been. It would probably have been someone like a, you know what? I think it probably been John Bewash. Really? Yeah, I do. I you think uh, Michigan Michigan wouldn't have pulled out the the money cannon and done what it well, took? To they're not going to pull out thirty five million dollars <laughs> over seven over seven years. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, is, is Jim Harbaugh making that? <laughs> I think he is, but I mean, that's not the basketball coach in Michigan is not going to make a football money. That's fair. <laughs> uh, oh. And you know, when I think I wanted the job, you know, um, and when the pitchers told him that they were likely going to go in another direction, that's when he came out with the statement I'm saying in Michigan because mm-hmm. he had to let people know because it was getting late in the process, and he didn't want to. It, was, it got to the point where either he, 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 he had to go or he had to stay. Mm-hmm. And the Pistons told him that they were likely going to head somewhere else. So if, it, if Casey wasn't available, um, I probably would have been Beeline. Um, matter of fact, I know Arn Tellum was really intrigued by the idea of hiring John Beeline. Um, you know, Be- uh, Tellum was really kind of a, like kind of like a splash hire, different outside-the-box thinking kind of guy, which definitely John Beeline would have been an outside-the-box hire. So, uh, and I gather John Beeline was intrigued by the job. You know, you see Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, um, skilled big guys and stuff. You know, you know that was a job that would have some appeal to coaches because especially coaches don't want to go through the the romper room babysitting a bunch of young kids and stuff. A team that that potentially can win from the outset. That's what coaches are asking for. As a matter of fact, I just talked to Dwayne Casey uh, a couple of weeks ago, or actually, what I guess it would have been last week in San Antonio, and he was talking about he was. Pretty much dead set on, you know, dead set on sitting out a year, but through the efforts of Tom Gorge and we start looking at the roster, huh, okay, well, this might be the best roster I can get. You know, next next year, next when he comes back on the market, the, it, might, it might just be those young rebuilding jobs and stuff like that. So he has a ready-made team that can play, count to the playoff spot. So why he went ahead and took it now? Because, uh, after, and also Tom Gore's efforts in this wooing him into, into taking the job, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, if it, that's what I think. If it hadn't have been Dwayne Casey, it would have been John Beeline. So, uh, in addition to Stan Van Gundy getting fired, he got fired as head coach and president of basketball ops. So they brought in uh, Ed Stefanski to run the the search for a new president of basketball ops. Ed Stefanski took a good look around and decided that he was the best man for the job. Uh, and so that's we've not got, quite what happened. That's not quite what happened, but I think. <laughs> I think that's uh, I think that's the story that uh, people who aren't so keen on this would like to tell themselves. I think that's fair. Well, but, the uh, thing about it, if if, if Dwayne Shea had left the Miami Heat, more than likely he would be a president of basketball operations, and Ed Stefanski would be um, the senior advisor. His his title would still be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Ed was brought in basically to uh, kind of like help construct this new front office. And when the guy who they viewed or looked at as a guy who could be a face of a franchise type, which Shane Bette would have been a home run in that aspect of it, you know, from here, Michigan high school basketball legend, when, uh, yeah, young guy. Into my guy, high school, a, yeah. Yeah, handsome guy with a beautiful family um, that you could just sit up there and have a – and just win the press conference with. Also a good basketball mind from also from when I gathered about him. When he decided he wasn't ready for that 80-hour-a-week grind, um, I don't think there was anybody else that felt comfortable uh, putting in charge of it. You know, I take that back. I do think uh, the Spurs, the Brent Berry, is that the right Berry kid? Yeah, Brent Berry, yeah. Is it Brent Berry? Yeah, Brent Berry, but he's not – I think he works for the Spurs now, but, like, he was doing TV. Yeah, he just got hired by the Spurs. I think there may have been some interest with him there, maybe the top spot. I don't know if it would have been above that Stefanski, Mm -hmm. but for personal reasons, he can't leave – the San Antonio, it wouldn't be a good idea for him to leave the San Antonio area. Uh, 
for at least a year or so, so he just could commit to it. So I do know they were really interested in him as well, a guy who's a former R&Tellum client, um, as a matter of fact. So uh, so that's what it was. Uh, but, you know, they got Malik Rose, and Malik Rose is a guy they think highly of. Um, right now, if things go well, he's the guy who I would think is the GM in waiting. Um, when Ed's three-year contract up, whoa, who knows? Um, maybe even next year. There's a lot of uh, flexibility there, you know, Ed has a three-year deal, and he's a senior advisor. Mm-hmm. Who knows, maybe they just promote Malik Rose into his spot if they, you know, he does his thing, does what he's supposed to. Uh, but, yeah, so that's uh, that's where that is. And I think, if, like I said, if Shane Bennett had been available and come aboard, they're probably uh, Shane Bennett would probably be the president of basketball ops or whatever title, GM, whatever title they want to get. Would have he would have been, been in charge. He'd have been the guy, and probably with a huge say-so from Ed Stefanski. Don't get his twist. He was going to have a huge say anyway. Um, but that being said, but uh, that was kind of how they wanted to go. They really, He was the guy they really envisioned being the top of the organizational ladder and set piece. He stayed at Miami. So how do you go about building a relationship with the three guys who are sitting in the assistant GM chairs in uh, Malik Rose, uh, Sachin Gupta, and Sammy Gelfand? Okay. Like, you, uh, how much how much time you've gotten to like sit down and, and speak with them aside from the press conferences and and everything? But I know that you know that, that seems like that'd be an important part of your job. And so I'm curious, uh, you know how you how you go about building those relationships? Well, um, you just do it. It's something that doesn't happen overnight. You don't. Um, they just you just met them, and you know you know some of the people they've hired are people that I've known for years already. You know, like the guy that. Hired in charge of scouting, um, Greg Polinsky. I mean, I've known Greg Polinsky since I was a worked for a student newspaper, University of Alabama, and he was an assistant coach there. Um, and you know, obviously, we fell out of contact for a few years there. But when I first started doing this a decade ago, he was a guy you would see at scouting combines and out uh, at other other league events. And I quickly remade remade my acquaintance with him. So, of course, mm-hmm. he gets hired. So he's a guy I've known for over 20 years. Um, I've known Malik a little bit over the years. Um, he's a guy I've seen that stuff and I've talked to a couple of times. I didn't know Sachin Gupta, but um, I talked to him relatively quickly uh, after he was hired because, I, because you know, I, talk, I did that thing on basically he was the guy who um, created or helped create the trade machine on ESPN. Uh, so he, so it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a gradual process. But it's something that takes time, but you know, I'm not going anywhere and they're not going anywhere either. So all we got is time. And it's just, a, it kind of happens organically. It does. Okay. No, yeah, that it, makes it sense. You don't go about doing, I got to get close to these people. Just, you see them around, you talk to them about things other than what's going on with the basketball team. You know, people like they, these are, they're regular people. They have other interests. Uh, than just what's going on in the team, and if you're put it that way, usually relationships pretty come on, come pretty easily. Okay, no, yeah, that makes sense. So, who do you think on the team benefits the most? We talked a little bit about uh, Casey's a more stoic demeanor versus Stan Van Gundy's. Uh, who do you who do you think on the team benefits the most from that? Mm-hmm. There's a couple. I think Stan Van I Stan Van Gundy, Stanley Johnson. <laughs> Stan Van Gundy <laughs> does not benefit. From Quay, from I think Stanley favorite. Johnson would be helped, and I also think Andre may be helped as well. Uh, so those are the two main guys. Um, two guys that maybe could tend to be Stan Van Gundy whipping boys. Mm-hmm. And just 
not someone going yeah 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 or or the or what's the uh, peanuts or the peanuts or the Charlie Brown Christmas Christmas specials. Whenever they talk to the teacher, you can't decipher what the teacher's saying. <laughs> right. Yeah, but basically that's probably what Sam's sort of sounding like. <laughs> So yeah, I think it, uh, I think that really helped. Uh, nice, good, open relationship, communicating, uh, not showing them up because players hate that when uh, when uh, coaches act that way on uh, sidelines. And you know, it's, it was at least organic with Stan. I don't think he was trying to show players up when he's doing that stuff. But you know, that's kind of stuff that wears on players. Like even mm-hmm. the the thing. Remember, um, I don't even remember that game last year. Luke had two screw ups, and he took Luke out of the game in forty yeah, seconds into the game against Orlando. You just yeah. can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. Yeah. So, who on the team benefits the most from Casey's focus on uh, three point shooting and the and the shot spectrum? Um, I think that helps Blake. Um, really? Huh, okay. Because of the spacing, and also it gets Blake away from the mid range shots. Uh, he's gonna take. You know, Blake is such a uh, player with his stature. Every now and then, if he gets it going, he's probably one of those guys that'll throw up a shot outside the shot spectrum. Um, and Casey probably won't be too irritated about it. Uh, but I do think that kind of stuff. You know, he will he will focus on doing things like or something I'm writing right now. Just getting to the rim, getting to the basket. Uh, one of the things that Casey has noted that last year, this was 29th at finishing around the rim. Um, it's a point of emphasis for him, you know, and, you know, maybe how in years past when Andre would get the ball around the basket and he would do all this double clutching and scooping and stuff like that, probably scared to get, trying to avoid contact because he's scared to get fouled. Yeah. But there was a sequence against the Cavs where I can't remember who it was, was it Osman or, 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 or it may have been, uh, uh, one of the other, yeah. one of the other Cavs, big men. And he just tried to dunk the ball and the dude in the basket which is what you want your big doing. And if I get fouled, I get fouled. He split the two, he split the free throw, so that was good. Um, and that's something, that's how Casey really wants that. He don't want all that double clutching. He wants people to attack the rim and try to dunk, dunk the ball and dunk the guy who was trying to protect the rim too. Uh, so that kind of stuff uh, helps, I think will help Blake. And uh, I think the, the three-point shoot will help Blake offer a quick space for him. So I really think it's going to help Blake really have a good year. Is there anybody on the team that you think uh, is it's detrimental to their game to follow the the shot spectrum? Well, you know what, I don't know. Rudy Jackson might be the guy who the system where I think there might be a bone of contention. Mm-hmm. You know, Ricky Jackson is a high usage rate guy. What I think a couple of years ago, I think his usage rate was around twenty eight, twenty nine, or something like that. Like that in the two thousand fifteen, sixteen season when they made the playoffs. That's going to be significantly lower. Um, under Casey's system. And I would expect Blake to have a high usage rate because he's going to be the primary ball handler. But Reggie Jackson is the guy who not going to be in as many pick and roll situations. Um, he's going to be asked to spot up more. Um, because, you know, Reggie is a good spot up shooter. As a matter of fact, I think it actually kind of helps him. But whereas it may help him, his game, help him while he gets into shape, because he's still fighting into getting into proper uh, game shape. But does mentally he accept the fact that this helps him? You know, sometimes you get used to playing a certain way. You have to accept a certain way, and you don't really want to – you don't want to go away from – deviate from that. So 
that's something I would watch this year. But that's the guy, not necessarily from a fit standpoint, but from a mental aspect of will he accept this new role. Whereas he's still going to be a secondary or a primary ball handler, but he's just not going to be as much of a ball handler. Yeah, I remember now that you say that, I do remember like when uh, when Keith was doing like his uh, series of interviews with Casey before the season, um, when Reggie's name came up and they were talking about like what his role was going to be shooting more off ball, um, you know, having the ball out of his hands and and being a more of a spot up threat. uh, He was Casey was saying like Reggie understands his role, not like he not like Reggie embraces his role, not like he uh, he loves his new role. He's just like he, he gets it. He gets it. And so, like, that's that's a little bit less of an endorsement than you would like from your starting point guard. But, like, it's understandable, right? Like, Stan brought him in to be the 1-5 pick-and-roll guy. And, like, now he's going to have to change that. And I, I can yeah. see where that would that would uh, trip him up a little. Where, where previously he may get, what, 60 pick-and-rolls in a game? Right. Like that, some crazy number. Now he might get 20. Yeah. I think another guy I'm thinking about specifically is Luke. And that's partially because of what we've seen from Luke in the preseason. Um, he's still working his way back to health as well. But uh, when you see him on the floor, you can like see the gears in his head like turning. It's like, okay, I can't. Like, yeah, I shouldn't take this twenty footer, even though I'm one of the best in the league at these twenty footers, because like that's not a good shot analytically. So I should try and get all the way to the rim, which is not great because I'm not as athletic as like you know I'm not an elite level NBA athlete. Is like, or I should just like step back and take these threes, but then the defense is like accounting for that. And so, like, I'm keeping an eye on like Luke's shots and minutes as well. Uh, in in the in the case of the like the shot spectrum, I do think his minutes are more reflective of him trying to monitor his minutes right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I won't, but obviously, uh, you know, obviously, Luke, I'm sorry, Winston Galloway is taking advantage of that uh, opportunity to firmly entrench himself into the uh, starting uh, playing rotation right now. Uh, so, but to your point, yeah, I can see that. I mean, right now he gets the ball. You know, Luke's a smart basketball player. He's one of those guys that when it comes to shooting the ball, I don't know if him shooting more threes will be a bad thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> he shot 40% last year, right? Like, you yeah, want that guy to be Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and the thing about it is, you know, um, uh, that is, I think he's one guy that maybe Casey should, like, give a break to uh, when he should belong to. But, you know, uh, if again, if, if Luke's shooting more threes, if it leads to more threes from Luke, I don't think that would be a bad thing. Yeah, I'm, I also, also think that they should give him a break on the long twos, yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Also, I'll say this. Casey doesn't necessarily – moving the ball is not a bad thing either. And Luke moves the ball, yeah, yeah. And not get, getting off it. Uh, and maybe and maybe don't find the good three, find the great three. Okay, yeah. So your column this week on Sunday that came out today on Sunday was about Blake Griffin, uh, fully healthy. Uh, I think he he considers himself an All Star and wants to make the All Star team in the in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, I think he's a guy who uh, has known he's known playoff success and his teammates haven't, and he's you know he wants to share that with them. And so I'm I'm curious to see what uh, what kind of what the Pistons expect out of Blake this this year on and off the court. You know, like on court, I think they have a very clear sense of what they want. They want him to, you know, they want him to follow the shot spectrum. They want him to get shots at the rim and distribute from the high post. And they want him to kind of anchor some uh, center lineups um, and you know be a primary ball handler. Um, but off the court. 
I'm curious, like there's there doesn't seem to be like dissension about like whose team it is, quote unquote. Andre and Blake seem to get along really nicely. Um, you mentioned in the story that like with Reggie Jackson, they kind of form like the head of the team. But like in the end, I'm curious, you know, which one of those guys when it comes down to it in in game 83, right? Like who's taking who's like leading the charge when they make if they make the playoffs, I guess. Oh, it's Blake. It's got to be Blake. He's the guy who's the best player on the team. I just don't – I think there's a clear pecking order. It's Blake Griffin, then Andre and Reggie, and then there comes everybody else. Um, and I think that's pretty clear. And I think uh, Blake has done a good job of not acting that way. Um, he does – goes out of his way to do things like get Blake – I mean, Andre involved, even during games. Um, you know, he's one of the better guys at getting the ball to Andre when he has a guy sealed around the rim. Uh, when the guy, you know, Andre busts his tail to get down court, Blake seeks to reward that behavior. Uh, whereas, you know, where in the years past, sometimes his teammates would ignore, <laughs> ignore him. Yeah, uh, there were a couple that, guys so. who weren't so great at that, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and next thing you know, Andre would stop running. He calls, <laughs> why am I going to do that if I'm not going to get the ball? Uh, but Blake understands the psychology of that, so he, he does a point of not trying to step on anybody's toes. Mm-hmm. But that being said, Five-time All-Star, part of a team that won 59 games, third in MVP balloting in 2014. I mean, it ain't it ain't it ain't rocket science. He's the best player on the team, and as he goes, the team's gonna go. So you've been doing this for what 10, 11 years now? This is my 11th season. Okay, year 11. Wow. What what separates this team from all the Pistons teams, or some of the Pistons teams you've covered uh, over the last decade or so? Uh, you've seen a lot of stuff. Uh, you see, I think you you covered like the the after the fall uh, Detroit Pistons. I'll, I'll be curious yeah, to read. It's been it's been trash ever since I've been here. So yeah, I'll be curious to read your book uh, whenever you decide to go that route. But uh, what what makes this team different in your mind? Blake Griffin, by far the best player they've had since I've covered the team. Is it really that simple? Yeah, I mean, think about it. They had when I took over, they had Tonto Billups, but only they only had them four games when I took over. Oh, so you took over, um, like, right before everything went to heck. Yep. Allen Iverson trade <laughs> happened on my fourth game. Yep. So, uh, so I guess you could make a case that Tonto Bills was the best person I covered, but I only had him for four games. <laughs> so, and there hasn't been anyone like Blake Griffin. Come, there haven't been anyone like him since uh, that era. So what is you, it? You would agree, agree with that, right? No, I I would 100% agree with that. But I wonder what about having uh, a star player, a quote unquote star player, um, kind of keeps everything like turning or in line for a team. You know, it's like with <laughs> other other teams manage to find success in in the front office or or like they derive it from their head coach, not necessarily like the guys in the court. But uh, but this team, for whatever reason, is just kind of floundered. Um, or found themselves floundering without uh, without a star player, you know. And Blake is that Blake is definitely that guy. But I don't know. I, I'm curious to think uh, to hear your your thoughts about like why that is. Well, well, you can look at the fact that this is you know during that stretch. I mean, the highest what was the highest pick? Wasn't it like uh, I think it was eight or eighth? Casey was eighth. Eight, yeah. I think it was the Brandon Knight was eighth too, right? Oh, Brandon was like seventh. So maybe it was seven. Brandon was seven. Greg Monroe was seven. They never had a top five pick during that stretch. Yeah. But they didn't. They didn't never. They never had a chance to draft anybody like that for the most part. I mean, I guess there were guys who came along who became stars, like I guess Paul George and 
Kawhi Leonard, but you know, on heck, Giannis. So I guess there's three. I guess they had their shot from where they were picking. Uh, a, a lot uh, of teams missed like on those that. guys. But the right? reason they don't have them because they just never had. They never really were. In, they never were really in position to draft that guy. I think that's the main reason. Okay. So uh, you were at you were in East Lansing. You were at my alma mater for Pistons Cavs. And you took some time to talk to some students in the sports journalism program. I saw like the I tweet did. from the J School. Uh, what'd you What'd you talk to them about? What uh, What lessons did you kind of impart that uh, you would share with our wider audience? Well, you know, um, I told them there are two things that I take seriously now that I wish I would have taken seriously back when I was their age. And that physical is physical fitness. Yeah. Physical fitness and credit score. Credit score? Credit score. Man. Credit score is the key to everything. Credit, a good credit score opens up doors for you that would otherwise be closed to you. You know this, Lance. <laughs> I, I do know this, but I'm also like remembering what it was like to be in college and being like, look, I was like, credit score is important, but like, I got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I said it in a jokey way because Joanne Gershner, the MSU uh, professor who who uh, had me talk to them, she got on the topic of uh, fitness and about how, you know, these, these lifestyles can really be harmful to your physical fitness because you're eating late, uh, pregame meals aren't the healthiest in the world, uh, mm-hmm. because you're tired, sick, deprived all the time, you're not always necessarily working out as much as you as you should. Uh, all stuff I rem- that I do. I remember pretty, you guys. I, I remember you guys teasing James about that at the end of the season. Yes, we do. We do. Uh, <laughs> he, he gained a he gained a, a freshman fifteen. <laughs> uh, doing this stuff, but it takes willpower. Almost all the hotels have adequate workout facilities, so you got time to work out. Uh, we have things where. You know, because of our Marriott status, we have access to the concierge lounge. Well, you literally have, like, rows of fruit. You know what I do to stop myself from eating that double cheeseburger uh, that I'm craving and really want so bad at 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm done? I know know in my hotel room there's a couple of apples. And if nothing else, I'm able to fight through and not go succumb to that double cheeseburger because I know I have two apples in my room. but that was the main thing. And also, uh, that was just, I'm just being funny there. But the main thing was talk to them about how uh, relationships, that's, as we talked about earlier, developing mm-hmm. relationships is the key to this, doing this well. Uh, and someone asked me, well, how do you develop relationships? And what I said was, talk to people. And don't always go talk to people when you want something. Talk to them about, hey, you told me last week that your kid tried out for the T-ball team. How'd it go? That kind of stuff. And I will tell you right now, me, Dwayne Casey, and I have developed, have developed a good relationship. But most of what we talk about is not basketball. What are you guys talking about? We have about? a shared past. Uh, we both two black men who grew up in the South. Ah, yeah. Uh, I'm 50, he's 61. So we're both familiar with the old South or how things used to be down South. Um, so we compare stories. Uh, he talks about how uh, when he was in third grade, how he helped had to integrate a school because, you know, uh, court-ordered desegregation. 
um, and walking through, he remember walking through picket lines, angry white parents, angry about how things are changing because suddenly these black kids are going to school with their white children. Uh, he talks about um, seeing the Klan uh, growing up. Uh, so I never saw the Klan, but evidently as someone who grew up in that area, I grew up in Alabama, he grew up in Kentucky, definitely something that I can relate to and I definitely resonate with him. Um, so that's that's how you develop relationships with people. You talk to people, but you also talk to them th- about things away from the court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can look at it cynically, they, okay, so I'm trying to butter them up so I can, they can give me the good good dirt later on. I genuinely like hearing this stuff. I like I find people interesting, and everybody has a story. And the people who are doing this stuff, there's more to their story than just basketball. Yeah, it's not always work, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, even think about it myself. You know, when I, when I, whenever, whenever I meet someone out in a bar or something, sometimes the last thing I want to do is talk about uh, the pisses because there is so much more, or at least I think there's more, a whole lot more to me. I mean, that's what I do. Uh, what I do for a living. No, I agree. There's definitely more than the Pistons. Unfortunately, this is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we got to talk about. No that, doubt, so. no doubt. I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna make you talk talk about uh the, the latest Marvel movie, or have you seen Venom yet? I'm not gonna I have, go there. I have not seen Venom yet, but I I have heard mixed reviews, and by mixed, I like truly it, mean mixed. It's popular, though. People are going to see it. Yeah, people are curious, right? I guess so. I haven't made it yet, and of course I'm pretty busy. But I'm, if I don't see it soon, it's probably gone. So I gotta so make got, my mind up here got, probably in the next couple of weeks. So. Yeah, you got you got two days before Wednesday, and then you know who knows when you get time. Uh, you know what? Actually, the funny thing about it is, this is a busier time because I'm writing all this preview stuff. Once the season starts, it kind of settles into kind of a more normalcy, okay. and I actually have things to do and stuff. So you have these like busy times during the year. Uh, the time between. Um, Start a camp because the season opener is real busy. Uh, the season's kind of, eh, you're busy, but it's you, you kind of know where you're going to be. You kind of know what you're doing. Then things kind of heat up a little bit around the trade deadline. Um, but the cool part about that is this. The trade deadline now happens two weeks before the All-Star break. So once you get past the trade deadline, you've got the whole season pretty much clear because mm-hmm. there's no more trades, no more – transactions happening and this year oh my god i'm looking forward to the next offseason so well i mean they're not firing the coach the front office is going to pretty much be the same <laughs> so i have a free offseason just i just the only variable is how far they go <laughs> if they make the playoffs how far they go in the playoffs. <laughs> there, there you go i like that actually that's kind of funny. and you're hoping that i'm working till june but that's fine <laughs> <You're> hoping... <laughs> Well, I'm hoping that if you're working in June, that you're enjoying it, if nothing else. Okay. Well, I, I think that's a fair that's a fair request. <laughs> All right, Vince. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know I really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Um, you work at the Free Press. Uh, what's the best place for people to kind of offer their thoughts about the Pistons or other things? I know you're a big barbecue fan. Uh, I know you you do solicit. Uh, food uh, takes from people on Twitter. So what, what's the best place for, for people to, to get those? My first name, Vincent underscore Ellis, my last name, 56, my high school football number. That's what you can find. 
All right. I like that. And uh, obviously, you can find me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, Thank you so much, Vince. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you.